Welcome to Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 69. We're talking Jurassic World. This is Ali Matu, and I am joined, as always, by my not-so-Jurassic co-host, nice. H.J. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? Going well. So we're talking Jurassic World. What do we have in the crossover today? Today, in the crossover, we're going to pit Jurassic World against Godzilla, the most recent iteration. We should be Let clear. fight. Is that going to be the voice for this episode? Ollie? You know, it, I, sh- I should have saved that for the crossover sound. Well, it's not too to, late. It's not too late. You can I'll have to think of something it. else. And then we're talking about top five hubris stories. <laughs> so in keeping with the theme of Jurassic World, we're going to explore some stories about pride and overconfidence. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to uh, limit it to five. There's a lot of stories about so and many. hubris. There's so many. It's it's kind of a big theme with with a lot of these uh, with a lot of big budget stories and novels and short stories and so much stuff out there. So um, before we get started, we'll we'll do a little non spoilers and then we'll kind of dive into spoilers because probably everyone, given the box office results so far, is probably seeing this film. But Conrad, I I um, want to ask you right before we get started, what's your relationship with this franchise? Um, so as you know, Jurassic Park was a film that I saw in the theater when it came out, and it was awesome. Uh, we had a movie night here, as you know, with Bill and, and all those folks. Did you get to, were you here when we did that? I don't think I was here for the Jurassic Park uh, uh, night. So this was, we had been talking about it, about, um, just amongst our friends, about films that just were so magical and amazing to watch when you were a kid. And Spielberg, yeah. as you know, I think, I think does that movie magic. Jaws is one clearly one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, but I think Jurassic Park just has a special place in my mind. It was hyped, but they managed to do a lot with it so that you didn't fully... You, you knew that there were going to be some effects and things, but when you watch Jurassic Park and they reveal the, dino- the dinosaurs for the first time, it's amazing. Uh, and I and actually, the John Williams score, how it swells score, at that point. Yeah. Um, just the setup, I actually thought the script was, was decent, and I think the acting was fantastic. Uh, you, it's an action... It's certainly a, a summer blockbuster but you definitely care about the characters in this film and i really enjoyed it uh, and it does i mean yes the effects if you're really really comparing it to everything not quite on par with now and it they do in some p- parts look a little bit aged but it still but does hold, hold up, up. it still hold, holds up and hold the up better magic, than any other 1990s right and the, and keep in yeah. mind 1990s and and uh-huh. it really i think still is, and I rewatched it again just for our conversation today, and was still impressed by that. So oh, it holds it holds a good play, a good spot in my heart. And uh, plus, who like what kid doesn't love dinosaurs? That was always <laughs> the thing that you know. That was always the cool section when you got to talk about yeah. that in school. And then when you get to go to the On museums, yeah, and they they yep. kind of like hold out. Like I there was a trip that my aunt and uncle when my sister and I were younger we like stayed with them for a school vacation and one of the things that they did is they they took us to uh, American Museum of Natural History and they they withheld the the whole dinosaur section until, until the, end. the end because they knew that they would never get us to stick around for the rest of it 
if we got to see that first. So that was like very cool. <laughs> and my parents did a similar tactic when we visited DC a couple of years later. They were like, we're not going to, we're not going to take them to see the dinosaurs until we make them see all this other stuff. So, which of course DC has lots of cool stuff, but that was, that at the time was the big deal. Well, um, if if I had a pretty similar experience uh, as you have mentioned. I think Jurassic Park might be my version of Jaws for you. Mm. You know, it's it, it's the first time I remember going to see the movies and really feeling like I was transported somewhere else. And I felt like I was seeing something that I had never really seen before and that I had also gone on this journey with these characters. There was suspense, there was terror, there was humor, there was humanity, there was uh, an arc to so many of these characters. That movie is just such a seminal experience of my childhood and have rewatched it so many times. That The first CD I ever bought was actually actually um, the Jurassic Park score and uh, I listened to that you know into the ground like I destroyed that CD listened to it so many times that movie is a really important part of my childhood and I think it also like Jaws Jaws was a first summer blockbuster Jurassic Park sort of up the ante a bit for the the summer blockbuster season and things were really different after that and then of course we had the ride and all the merchandise around it and it was just a really well promoted well done film uh, the sequels i mean the lost world was okay uh, very different than the book yeah. and then the third one was uh, really bad just horrible <laughs> yeah i really hated the third film um and this this film now, Jurassic World 4, or Jurassic Park 4, now known as Jurassic World, has sort of been in development hell since the early 2000s. Uh, Spielberg has talked about making a film ev- while they were doing production on Jurassic Park 3, and then it never really came together. It went through a lot of different writers, and there was one point where they were going to have these... Uh, dino hybrids with a little human DNA and a little bit of dog DNA and all this sort of stuff and it was going to be a very different storyline and that never came to be and here we are now finally 2015 a long time after Jurassic Park 3 with a sequel Uh, Conrad without giving any spoilers uh, does it hold up to your expectations no it doesn't but but I also given the trailer that came out I was expecting a lot worse, and I, th- I think that this is an enjoyable film. I think it's a good summer blockbuster. I think Chris Pratt is just worth seeing the film generally, because I think he, <laughs> he actually carries it. You mean Star-Lord? I mean, well, and he plays Star-Lord pretty much. <laughs> That's what he does, and he does it really well in this. Yeah, um, well. And because he is in- so endearing and a little bit smirky and a little bit, you know... There, there's some inside jokes and Easter eggs going on in this, but I, I think it is a much more enjoyable film than I was anticipating, but I don't believe it holds up at all to the first film. Well, I mean, I agree with that. It, the first film is uh, really a, a masterpiece of a summer blockbuster. Right. Uh, everything works uh, triumphantly in that film, uh, and it, and as you mentioned, it it holds up extremely well. Uh, I really enjoyed Jurassic World. I had a lot of fun. I was going into it with pretty low expectations, and the movie definitely exceeded my expectations. Now, is it um, on par with the first film? No, it's not. It, it 
but it does recapture a lot of the elements uh, that I really liked of the first film. And I think it extends on some of the themes in an interesting way, more interesting than The Lost World or uh, Jurassic Park 3. I think it's a far better sequel than any of those other films. Oh, I agree with you there. Definitely agree with you, you there. And and again, you know, the effects are great. The, the dinosaurs are fantastic. They do some really cool things uh, and introducing some, some new things and things that... We definitely wanted to see you, you, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to spoil too much. So I, maybe we should leave that out about exactly what you get to see. Um, sure. But I will bring up one thing that I think people have seen in the trailer. But the the Musasaurus uh, <laughs> is really cool and very, you know, there's a, a little nod of the head to Jaws there. Yes. Although, although, quite yes. frankly, I do not think any theme park is going to be feeding endangered <laughs> sharks to um, dinosaurs, but yeah, maybe really they're expensive. genetically engineering those those great white sharks in order to do so. That could be. Um, but, it, you know, I think that those effects were very, very cool, and if you want something like that, I think it's it's a great, it's a monster film, though. It's not... It is a monster film, and I know that's that's probably something we're going to end up talking about, um, but it, it it's, you, you can't think about it too critically. No, you can't. Do but, everything falls apart. I mean, some of the criticism that's come up is the science of dinosaurs has really advanced in the 22 years since we had right. Jurassic Park, and we now know that you know feathers play a main major role in what these dinosaurs look like, and that isn't reflected here. And I think right. the movie has a nice response but, to that. But but they also have a little bit of a canon issue that they you know they kind of yeah. set things up as this research is going on, so they in some ways do have to reflect a little bit of that but I, I and they did have a nice little escape loophole with that so I thought that was good well um, and it seems like the film kind of ignores the events of Lost World and Jurassic it does. Park 3 it does. I, I'm guessing it's not taking those into it, it's treating them kind of like Superman Returns it's not looking at them as, as canon it's just ignoring them was that your entire, impression not, it is a little bit but there's like they, a lot of the easter eggs are totally looping back to Jurassic Park um, but there are a couple ones which I guess if you want to say it's Jurassic Park but you know there's a few easter eggs related to Ian Malcolm which is the character yeah. um, you know the the main character that, that's talking about why, why things are very wrong played by Jeff Goldblum and so there's references to him here sadly no appearance by him here Yeah. Um, but you know I think you're right they did kind of cut out the last two films and maybe with good reason because they were not very good no they were um, bad but in any case um i you know i kind of want to get into spoilers here i would say just 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 along the short of it if you're looking for a great blockbuster film you're looking for good effects it's fun um go for it i would say some of the violence might be hard for some kids um it depends on your kid yeah, so I would be the there, yeah. you know, it depends on your kids. So use your best judgment. Um, but there's definitely there's some gore involved and there's some, you know, some kind of scary things that I think, depending on how sensitive your kid is, might be a hard time. But for, for us big kids, I think it's fun and it's a fun popcorn film to watch. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to expect anything 
really uh, brain twisty, but I think if Jurassic Park was as big a part of your childhood as it was mine, this is a sequel that you are really going to enjoy. You're going to have a lot of fun with. Um, does it tread a lot of new themes? I don't really think so. No. Um, but it does recapture some of that magic. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's really extending upon Jurassic Park. It doesn't really work independently of it. Um, I, I don't think... You know, it's it's really a film that's kind of dependent upon you loving that original. So yeah, definitely. You do- and, and you know what? This is the thing. This film's coming out. People your age and my age, you know, we don't, but they might have kids. And exactly. if this is something that you want to experience and and share this sort of feeling with your kids, I think this is a fun thing to do. But I Absolutely. also re- recommend that they watch the original. So oh, yeah, you got to see the yeah, yeah. If you have kids, you're taking them to this movie. Uh, do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Watch the original first. Right. Have an amazing time, you know, and then start singing that theme on the way to see Jurassic right. World and then see World and y- you'll have a great time. It'll be a great family dino filled day. Right. So. So with that, Conrad, shall we open up the gates to spoilers? I think we should. Um, so. Um, th- so the premise of this film, like the whole the whole sequence is that we've got two kids uh, Gray and Zach, um, whose parents are having some issues and they're being sent off to what, what Jurassic Park has become. It's called Jurassic World. They rebranded. It's all being run by their aunt, um, who is one of... Howard. And she, she looks great. I will say one of my biggest criticisms of the film is her character. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, one of the things about Jurassic Park, you had Laura Dern's character playing this very smart, savvy um, scientist. Um, she, de- they did throw in a few moments of screaming with her, but she was always going off and doing what she needed. To- she was getting things done in she's crisis doing mode. Science, paleobotany. She's doing science, but she's also like in the crisis situation. She's yeah, going she's off and she's butt. she's kicking butt. Yeah. And um, you know, I loved that part of that film um, and her character in it because we still were not seeing a ton of it then and now I feel like you know they've like unfortunately um, Ms. Howard plays or Bryce Howard I guess plays sort of a trope that I'm really kind of disgusted with and it's this woman that's like type A personality, very professional, but doesn't can't acknowledge the other things in life and has to be brought around by mm-hmm. events, kids, and uh, Christopher Pratt. And <laughs> it's just really, and it's sort of like they're knocking her off her high horse. Um, and then there's this whole sequence to do with her high heels. And let's just put it this way. You're not running from anything in stilettos. So the high heels thing was really interesting to me because it, I thought it they is, were going to go like a, a romancing the stone thing where they were yeah. going to make a reference to that and like chop off the heels, which would have been really funny. <laughs> but no, and they I think they were trying to make it into like a powerful thing and it just didn't work and really so, angered me. So I was doing some research into that. And I was like, how did this ever come to be? So apparently the director of this film, uh, Colin... Uh, Trevorrow, who we previously saw in Safety Not Guaranteed. Have you seen that film, Conrad? I did not. It's it's a really lovely, very short, small budget sci-fi film. It's it's really great. Um, uh, He did not want the high heels in there, but Bryce Dallas Howard was very adamant that this character, um, it's, it's a pretty core part of her identity, and she should have this, and she 
really fought for it. And he, Colin eventually said, uh, okay, sure, if this is important to you. But that's something that's been really come under criticism. And, and, and that and what it represents for this character has come under criticism in a lot of reviews. Yeah, and it should. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, you know, so I think the problem I have with it is that she's extraordinarily successful yeah. and motivated and pretty much amb- runs the park. Ambitious, and there's always a negative tone to how she is perceived by everybody. Um, especially, yeah. and that really bothers me. It would it, be different, yeah. it would be very different. Like, she is second guessed by the owner and, and founder of the whole Jurassic World. She, you know, the Chris Pratt interactions, he's like, uh, basically, you're just a tough woman who needs to loosen up a little bit. And then with the kids, you're ignoring us for your career. And by her sister, you're ignoring the kids for your career. They're important, too. Yeah, I haven't seen them in seven years. Right. And, you know, so it it truly bothered me a lot that these were the, sort of the decisions that they were making with well, this it's, character. It's, it's hard to imagine um, if Claire's turned into Clark and it's a male actor in that role, it's hard to imagine that that family theme would come up as much. And Exactly. And, and so it's sort of, it, you, so, so it's just something, and I'm just so tired of it, quite frankly. Well, and you know, I like, I like that she never says that she wants to have kids and at the end she doesn't come around and say, okay, I want to have family now. Right. I like she's making that decision. But beyond that, you're right, it is kind of very tropey. And, um, and she I, does, and, and to her credit, like she does do, and there are funny moments, and she does do, like, um, there's some amazing moments where she rescues Chris Pratt and all that. However, they go very Fay Ray with her at the end where she's, like, running from the Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. Um, so it's... Which it's, is a total throwback to the uh, first film. Um, it was, and I thought that that was great, and I love that it was clearly the same... Tyrannosaurus Rex, because he's all scarred from Velociraptor yeah, battles, Rexy, which is I think cool. is what they've nicknamed. So, yeah, that's so cool. It's which was awesome. T-Rex. It's the same T-Rex, which is amazing. Rexy's um, just been hanging out there for like 22 but, years. But I even in her rescuing everybody and saving everybody, she's still like down on the ground and, and looking very vulnerable. You know, like there's like, they couldn't just let her have it. And it well, really... and the way the body hugs her, her yeah. or the way the camera hugs her body. Yep. Again, we don't like, see that with Chris Pratt. No, and, of course so, not. Yeah. And I really like Chris Even Pratt. Even though many people and would I think, probably want that. And I think, I think Chris Pratt um, handled this as well as he could have. And he didn't come out, like he did come off as charming as he always does. Yeah, he's um, so sweet. But it's still, you know, it's a problem with the script and it's a problem with how they treat these characters. And so, um, you know, so that was my big thing. Um, well, but, so I, I'm going to extend your criticism to Chris Pratt, um, who, who plays... Again, Owen. well, what I was about to say is that it extends to him and that he's also playing a very tropey he's, yeah. character <laughs> that's only made tolerable by Chris Pratt. Totally, totally. And I think Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy has a little bit more of an arc and a little bit more of an emotional grounding than Owen in this film. And uh, but that also extends to Vincent D'Onofrio's character. Agreed. Hoskins, um, who is like this engine military contractor kind of guy like we're going to use them for military applications, ultimate killing machine. And it's um, Jurassic Park, the characters there, and have so much more humanity to them. Um, Right, and you care about them. 
exactly exactly um uh, i'd also i'd also like to say from a from a diversity point of view again it's the white guy and the white woman saving everybody yeah and, well and I, they're I, I and like, they i like my boy Irfan Khan oh. playing Simon Mazrani. I loved him. I wish they had done a lot more with him. I feel like yeah. they wasted him. And yeah. then I also really liked um, the name of the as- actor. E. E. Wong? Yes. Well, I love yeah. him, and he's the only original actor from the first film, which is fantastic. Yeah, he, um, it's great how they elevated his character. Um, I'm but I don't believe he would. I don't believe he would have been evil though. So that's a problem I have with that. But um, the other I know, Conrad, you get involved in InGen, and then crazy things happen. Well, maybe. But um, but then the other person that I was talking to, that I was mentioning, um, who is the um, Omer Sai who plays Barry? Oh yeah, um, he is the person that's also helping with the the you know the raptor training, the raptor training. And I felt again like they wasted him. I really liked him. I wanted to know more about him. Um, and he, you know, they really didn't do as much with him as I thought they were going to. Cause I was, when he first appeared, didn't you think he was going to take a little bit more of an active role? Yeah, I did. And, and he doesn't, um, no. the, the so character, yeah. I'll tell you, Conrad, the character I liked the most was, uh, Jake Johnson's character of Laurie. He's the Jurassic Park fanboy, the guy who has, Oh, I the- love him. He's <laughs> great. So apparently they based him, Jake Johnson based him on a real friend of his <laughs> and, um, had the same kind of glasses and mustache and apparently, some magazine has found this guy on Twitter and he looks exactly like the guy in the movie. But I love how um, his character felt like someone out of um, a Joss Whedon story. Oh, he totally did. He right? was totally <laughs> that character. Yeah, and I he love pro- that And character. he provided a lot of comic relief. Um, and especially against Lauren uh, Lopkiss' character, Vivian, who yep. um, many people will probably remember her from Orange is the New Black. She, opposite uh, Laurie, was just great. And yeah. it's great at the end of the movie when he goes in to kiss her and she goes, well, I have a boyfriend. Yeah, there was <laughs> like, there was, that was a very Joss Whedon, that was a very Whedon-esque totally. scene, um, totally. which I really enjoyed. The film could have used a lot more of that. And that's the kind of humanity that was missing from Jurassic World compared to Jurassic Park, right. which, you know, with Alan Grant versus the kids and Richard, Richard Attenborough's uh, John Hammond um, playing against everyone, Ian Malcolm and playing against um, uh, Dennis uh, Nedry, uh, Wayne Knight, uh, Newman character. Uh, There's so much of that style of interaction, that Joss Whedon-y kind of style that Spielberg really put into that Jurassic Park film. And that's that kind of elevated it. And the other thing that elevated Jurassic Park beyond Jurassic World was the discussion around nature. Should we do this? And right. when they're watching Mr. DNA and they're watching the, what the scientists have done and the discussion that unfolds out of that, it's really big ideas. Now, Jurassic World is tapping into those big ideas as well. And that kind of centers around the Dominus Rex um, and that storyline. And so, Conrad, this is where I think I know exactly the criticism you're going to bring up. But this is also where I was most surprised about the film. Now, what did you think of the Dominus Rex? Um, I thought that it was not scary at all. Um, initially, I kind of did. I liked how they did like a slow reveal and you didn't know exactly what it was doing. Um, and they incorporated some ideas to it. But just visually, it didn't really scare me. Um, and probably the coolest thing about it was the camouflage technique, which I yeah, liked. that was cool. Um, 
but I didn't get the sense that it was as scary as they were making it out to be. Um, and so it kind of, to me, it just kind of failed on that test. Um, and I also, you know, this is, this is a thing. Maybe, maybe, yes, maybe scientists that get involved with engine do become evil, like, like Dr. Henry does, but I just can't really believe it of him. He's too smart and he knows too much about what happened before to risk that again. Well, that's and, a kind of that's a problem here. Is like, did they not learn anything right? And then, from the previous movies. Well, and also the um, the character that you were mentioning that that I think again, I really loved him um, of Simon Mazrani. Um, yeah, I, I feel like he had enough heart, and he's constantly you know bringing things up like, are the animals happy? And he has this heart that I I just find it just hard to believe that he wouldn't know what was going on in his yeah. own in his own park no matter how classified they said it was so basically there's like sort of a rogue military test operation going on that he's funding and they kind of like push it on they they kind of explain this away by saying he's too busy and too much is going on that he can't focus on this i don't believe it of his character at all um yeah. Yeah, he, he, they he would have known that yeah. the Dominus Rex ate um, her sibling, right? And uh, yeah, he, so I didn't find the Dominus Rex to look that different from the T Rex. Right, there were some subtle differences. Um, so I, I wasn't necessarily scared just by the, the by the appearance of the Dominus Rex the way I was with uh, the reveal of the T Rex in the original film. Um, but what I do like are these ideas that they're presenting about the audience wanting more. Right. And that was interesting to me. And well, when and, you, and, and even with the branding and all the stuff, like, there's definitely a little you know, it's a little meta. -y. At, it's a little meta. -y and it's sort of like there was so much branding in this film, like Mercedes, yeah. Ben and Jerry's, um, well, and, Jimmy and, Buffett's Margaritaville. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett has like a cameo in this. Did He's you notice him, that? Yeah. And there's the um, that the fanboy character who kind of jokes around by uh, saying like, well, we should have, you know, Verizon Wireless presents right. the Dominus Rex and the Pepsi Saurus. And, uh, you know, and it's Verizon. It's something that happens, you know, yeah, like it's something that happens. And that's something that Verizon and Pepsi signed on for they're like yeah we think that would be really cool you should totally right, mention that right. and that is so it, there's a commentary there on theme parks and how we habituate we get used to thrills and you need to expand you need to but create also more also in movies and so, also in movies, exactly. So, yeah. That's one of the big changes since Jurassic Park to Jurassic World is, you know, what that film really holds up. But what's happened in Hollywood is more explosions, bigger explosions, more action, faster editing, more, 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 longer films, you know, the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of that. Like, that's exactly what we've seen in films. And I really loved that Jurassic Park was commenting on that and commenting right. on how we have this kind of immediate culture where we we see stuff amazing stuff like we all have these there's that lewis key uh, lewis ck's uh right where he talks about flying well oh the, there's a fly yeah I, I think in the same one he talks about like how amazing it is that you're flying yeah and then your cell phone when it you know when you're waiting for something and you're like ah come on you stupid phone and he's like hey give it a moment it's going to space right now right right Think about how amazing that is it's that kind of idea is that there's so much amazing 
amazing stuff. And we're like, meh, the internet is slow. Oh, my life sucks. Right. You know, that, so, so I, that I, I love. I thought that. that was cool. No, absolutely. And even what, re-watching Jurassic Park when they, they, they do a slow pan over all the merchandise at some point. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, so it's really funny. And they, and they have a lot of that going on in Jurassic World. And there's the whole... Um, the char- where the the character that you were mentioning uh, gets his T-shirt off of eBay, <laughs> his classic Jurassic Park T-shirt, and there's that, and there's like there's a lot of Easter eggs relating to the old franchise, and it's it is really interesting because the branding it has accelerated so much, yeah, um, it, and become what it's become in this. It's it's honestly like it's a very Disneyfied um, viewpoint or Universal Studios even. Um, and, and that's kind of what – so the theme parkiness of this movie is what I, is another thing I really liked where one of the things I wanted when I saw Jurassic Park, even when I was a, a young young kid watching that film, um, I kind of wanted to see, man, uh, what would have happened if this park did open and all those people were there? And I, I've always wanted to see that and I felt like I – finally got to see this world realized like what if they did get this park uh, off the ground what if it was a success and we see that with the monorails and all these uh, kid rides the petting zoo and that amazing uh gyroscope kind of ride yeah that the two boys go on which apparently they actually made like the the gyroscopes are running on a track but they actually made those things which is amazing hmm. um all of that was so exciting to me. And, and that's where it's extending upon what Jurassic Park did. There's a lot of nostalgia there, like with the T-Rex and well, the also that the, rises up. Uh, the T-Rex, also the um, when they go in. And then, of course, we have this whole wonderful scene where uh, the, the kids, Gray and Zach, go into um, the old Jurassic Park. Oh, which is amazing! God, like the old, I've... the old visitor center, and it's oh. awesome. And oh there's, and then they f- find the jeeps, and one of the jeeps is actually one of the ones, number twenty nine, which is yeah. the one that picks up uh, our original characters to go on their journey. So it's kind of this. It's just really there's some nice little references in. Oh this. my gosh, that I lost it. I lost it. With that I was, was like, one of my favorite I like, parts. Wait, I loved wait. that. Is that is that the original gate? Wait, what? Yeah, Wait, the, where dinosaurs rule the earth. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing! Yeah, and then no. you see the, the night vision goggles, right? And that's there's cool. so much. They, they really did that well. Um, it does it does celebrate the original film, and I think that's that's a problem too. Is if you're not a fan of the original film, you're not going to get all the references. You're not going to get all the references. Well, and then there's also the interesting thing. So they, you know, they have the Velociraptors, which are always the first film were such a huge part of it and they've yeah. sort of changed things a little bit. I don't know if you've seen the wonderful internet uh, rumor, the Reddit rumor that's going around that the Chris Pratt character, Owen, is is possibly the bratty kid at the beginning of <laughs> yeah. Jurassic Park. Um <laughs> Which I think is an amazing theory, um, <laughs> and for those it. of you, for those of you who haven't seen it, you should see it. But the bratty kid at the beginning of Jurassic Park is basically a vehicle for uh, the character to find out for and for us, the audience, to find out about Velociraptors, which you know, prior to the Jurassic Park films, I had never even known about. So yeah, it was no, nice because it gives you a little bit of exposition about why these particular dinosaurs, even though they might not be as big as a T-Rex, are super formidable. Um, and, you know, they set up nicely 
uh, the the role of the Velociraptor as as Dino villain in in this film. And so so, but Chris Pratt's character Owen is part of this raptor training group, and they're they're basically training raptors to hunt on command and take commands from humans and not eat them, which is pretty hard. Yeah. Um, so, but the fact, the idea that this is the kid, he now has respect for raptors more so than anybody else does is a pretty awesome theory. I love that theory. And that's, th- what's cool about that is that also kind of ties into the impact that the original movie has had. Um, so there's, there's a couple of great <laughs> reviews with paleontologists talking about their experience seeing Jurassic World. And most of them are actually pretty positive and they're, they're talking. Well, do you know the consultant on the film? Yes, yeah. this this person in the film um, basically was at the, at the time when the original films were coming out had been had been his theories about dinosaurs and, and the evolution of dinosaurs and how they worked um, were not being taken seriously. Uh, and Jack, how similar they were to birds, which was right. Not, Jack Horner yeah. is the name of the paleontologist, um, and basically his theories were proven correct or at least more correct than other series so he's actually been a consultant on these films um and he he so throughout the whole series so that's it's kind of nice to see that and i think and i think that even though some of the science science can be a little wonky it has a little bit more basis in fact than other films of this time yeah yeah and it's you know there's there's a lot that the film takes liberty with and there's what we alluded to earlier uh the the doctor in the film the main scientist here he says like these have never been pure dinosaurs we've always mixed in Mm -hmm. reptilian and frog and an amphibian uh dna here to fill in some of those gaps but what's what's cool about these paleontologists reviewing the film they're like look yeah this dinosaur was never the size this you know raptors now we have data they probably didn't hunt in packs it's all based on one finding and blah 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 but they they go on to talk about i'll put this in the show notes the washington post review of this the paleontologists go on to say look we have found so many more dinosaurs since jurassic park came out we find so many every year and part of it is because so many people have gone into paleontology because jurassic park Right. And so that is so cool that we now know so much more about these uh, these animals that we that shared this planet with us a long time ago. And it's because of that original film. So I think a lot of paleontologists do recognize um, how important this film was just in in uh, galvanizing interest in paleontology and, and, and what it is. Um, I want to talk. There's a couple more things I want to talk about. I know we have to get to the crossover, Conrad, but the score. Oh, now, again, again. I mean, they they are they are definitely relying a lot on the original score. But I did yeah. love those little ghosted sounds that you get, like this, especially when they're in the old uh, get, visitor center. Yeah, just those little things, and then there was like there was definitely moments throughout the film where you hear those little like wonderful themes. Yep. The, the original I don't think, classic John Williams thing. Right, right. And it wasn't, I don't think that the score here was as strong as the no, first film, you know, but I it was love, still better than most was, films. It was better than, I, I think, uh, Jurassic Park 3, 
which also didn't ha- John Williams was on board for The Lost World but he didn't do Jurassic Park 3 and you know it's it's missing here uh, Michael Giacchino did the score who I love he's done some amazing scores from Up and the new Star Trek films to uh, Ratatouille um, he's done a lot of really amazing work he did the new Mission Impossibles as well but it, it feels a lot like the score to Superman Returns which is also relying on the old John Williams score and I think that's that kind of summarizes the film in a nutshell is it does uh, it relies on nostalgia, which you and I have talked about mm. a lot, a lot over the last. It just makes uh, me miss the John Williams score. It just <laughs> makes you miss the original. You know, didn't you have the feeling of just wanting? You know, you recently watched Jurassic Park before going to see Jurassic World, but I left this movie feeling like I want to go home and watch Jurassic Park again because it did. No, I actually so did both of, of those things. <laughs> so yes, yes, nice. I did. Nice. Uh, Bill and I did, and and it was nice. It was, but again, what stood out to me was how great that score was in the original absolutely, film. Absolutely, and there wasn't the Lost World did develop a new theme um, mm-hmm. that was that was nice. It was okay, but it wasn't you know, and and at least it was better than a lot of the other films we've been seeing of late. Yeah, um, yeah. and they tried, but I it's hard to beat that original score. It was such a great one. Yeah, the other thing I want to talk about are the visual effects here. And um, I got to say, Conrad, um, they're good. Everything looks great. But um, I miss some of the tactile feeling of Jurassic Park. Uh, Nguyen and I were having a discussion about this after we saw the film. And I was like, what did you think of the effects? And she said, oh, they're great. They look so good. And I'm like, yeah, but I miss that, you know, the, the rubber. I want yeah. to see the rubber dinosaurs, and Nuan said, "Of course you do. Of course you do. Well, you do was because it was childhood. it was yeah. You, you know that's something that you and I have talked a lot about, just in terms of like the difference between um, the the CGI and uh, you know like like practical the, effects, the practical effects, and uh, you know there were some really cool things in Jurassic World that I liked. You know, everybody always wanted to see pterodactyls." And they yeah. did that. Those scenes were terrifying. And, you know, I don't think people really think about how terrifying those things could actually be. And then in action, it the reality is brought forth. And, you know, not just that, but seeing like, you know, the dinosaur petting zoo where they have kids running around on baby triceratops, which, you know what, totally would happen if we were <laughs> like, we, like the kids sort of mauling the poor little baby dinosaurs and things like that and not having respect for these things. Um and the reality of having a giant monster in a moat and, you know, what makes me wonder, I'm like, how do they contain such a thing? How big that Musasaurus was, I was well, like. There's also a question of how did they get that DNA? Because there's no mosquito that right, would have right, gone right. underwater, so got the blood and it trapped in amber. Uh, so, you know, don't, just don't think about that. Well, they come out. They come out of the water sometimes, Ollie, which is how the mosquitoes get them. <laughs> Um, but you know, but you're right. I think that they relied a lot on the CG and, and, um, it's some of the, those, and you know, like it's sort of the whole thing we were talking about, like you get bigger and bigger and bigger and there, and therefore you lose some of that tactical cool feeling, yeah. Um, they did have a couple, which I guess could be okay. And a few, the close-ups on the, of the raptors, right. I think that was that was all right. practical effects. Yeah, and then me, I'm not positive it. about it, but like with the the 
dying brontosaurus maybe oh yeah 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 and which is also another throwback to the original film right and you also had uh, for the first time in a jurassic park and also movie. looked a little bit like et as well which oh, i yeah, i thought true. i thought that's and true. then i was like am i like crazy here and then somebody else mentioned it too so yeah. i was like okay i'm not the only one who thought that that dinosaur looked a little et like well, they also um, used uh, motion capture for the raptors as well, yeah. um, which is a first for a Jurassic Park film. And so, you know, I think it, it – look, I loved it. I loved it. And I, this is one of those uh, Avengers Age of Ultron discussions you and I and Lowen had where we all agreed on the criticisms, but we had different levels of enjoying the film. No, I enjoyed it, and I'm not saying that I didn't. Um, I just – again, it's like – that first film had such magic so it's very hard to reach that level i think yeah. you're i think you're absolutely right i think that this is an enjoyable film and i think that it um it, it helps wipe out the pain of the other two sequels oh absolutely um, yeah so kinda, i think that's you good easily forget about them and just I think like it's, this movie does <laughs> and i think that it's a fun summer movie to go to and and again much more enjoyable than i was anticipating look at the, looking at those trailers that said the plot could have used a lot of work and the script could have used work and the character development the character um, and it would have been nice if they went in some new directions here right. um one more piece I forgot to mention, Conrad. Um, you probably didn't do this, and I did it very late last night. But have you been to the official website, JurassicWorld.com? No. It is amazing. It's like a website for a real theme park, and they have all this promotional material, and you can do, do these live cams. Oh, that's cool. Of the, and they have ticket information and attraction information, and then you can find the corporate website, and they talk about like what the, the corporation is up to and all of that. It is really cool. It's really great promotion. And I spent, like, I don't want to tell you how much time I spent reading every word and kind of just pouring over all of that, but it reminded me of the kind of promotional material for the original Jurassic Park, which was so amazing. And it was the kind of advertising that you just want to just devour because it's extending upon that world in your head and it's giving you all these new details. So I think, I think they did a lot right here. Um, I think they, they also made a lot of mistakes, but if you, your head will kind of forgive them uh, given your love of Jurassic Park. So I think, that's that's kind of where I stand with this film. Um, it never. It's just like the score. It evokes, but never reaches Agreed. what Jurassic Park did. I think uh, you and I are on the same page there. Yeah, we're on the same page. Um, but that being said, I had a big smile on my face throughout the whole film. So, uh, Conrad, should we close up the gates to Jurassic World and enter Monster Island? With we our should. Cro- we should. Let's, Let's do it. it. Let's enter the Infinite Crossover Chamber. Nice. And in the crossover chamber, Conrad, what two massive monster movies do we have? We have Jurassic World versus Godzilla. So I think the question here becomes is what's the better monster movie? Well, I mean, I think that this is going to be a pretty short crossover <laughs> chamber, given how you and I both felt about Godzilla. Um... <laughs> And we're talking about the Godzilla that came out last year. Right. Um, the new Godzilla film, um, which 
to remind our audience, um, I think you and I both were on the same page where we liked all the monster scenes, but we thought the human scenes were like horrible. Yeah, and also, I mean, we liked the nostalgia pieces of it, so I think yeah. that this is a logical crossover to make. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, you know, I just I will say straight out of the gate, I think Jurassic World did a better job. Even though I did have some issues with the script and things like that, I still think it was a much stronger film than Godzilla was. Um, and Godzilla relied, they were both relying on nostalgia to, you know, like, you know, to- topped off to the possible top, top and overflowing. Then you can, you know, both of them do it. And both of them have all these references and things like that. But I feel like Jurassic World was a little more of a cohesive film. I, I didn't care about the characters as much as I did about the characters in Jurassic Park, but I still cared more about them than I did about the characters in Godzilla. So, yeah, it's interesting because it's both these mon- – they're so similar. They're right. so similar. It's this one monster and the other monsters or dinosaurs have to go defeat this other monster. And it comes down to the monster action – against the backdrop of these human characters. And, and yeah, you will get no debate from me. I liked watching our actors. I, watched, I liked watching all of our actors in Jurassic World. And um, the only actor I liked in Godzilla was killed off. In Very early on. Minutes. Yeah. And it was advertised as if he was the main character here and that he's totally killed off. Um, I do... Th- I will say that... I think the monster action is probably better in Godzilla. I think you um, it, it, the problem with Godzilla is it's so um, it, it, you, you have to really wait for the middle and kind of end of the film well, to see it, a lot that, of that monster the thing. action. You have the monster action, but the pacing of the film. I mean, I know when you and I talked about this, parts of that film we were both bored. Um, yeah, we were just yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting. It's sort of like a lot of lead up to the the film, the scenes that we wanted to see, and then when they actually got there, those scenes were fantastic. Yeah, but yeah. at least in Jurassic World, it is pretty much you get to see the dinosaurs, you get to see them doing their thing. You know, I I thought that the pacing was pretty good in it. Yeah, um, in terms it, it of, never felt slow to me. No, it didn't feel slow. And I mean, there may be a, a couple of moments where I'm like, oh, why are they doing this? But not like, but like split seconds. Nothing like in Godzilla where I was like, honestly, not dozing off, but kind of wishing I could check my watch. So, yeah, yeah. And they were both shot well. I think some of the cinematography early on in Godzilla was probably better than Jurassic World. Yeah. Um, but that that feeling kind of slips as the pacing really slows down. Right. And they both, I don't want to spoil it because um, there's such awesome moments, but they both have very key get out of your chair and scream for joy moments towards yeah. the end. Definitely. <laughs> they're both really amazing yeah they're really good at that um but what you were just saying about the cinematography especially with some of the sort of um the filler scenes at jurassic world to get a sense of like the amusement park and things like that i felt like they were really dialing it in there didn't Uh, you like there's just like sort of like this sort of just thrown in scenes where you're trying to get a lay of the land and it and they showed it a few times and i felt like oh you guys you're just really 
not yeah. not doing a great job there. And I feel like Godzilla did a better job, as you said in the beginning, with those some some of how it was shot was really great. So. Yeah, it was hard to get a sense of time and space uh, of what was going on in Jurassic World. Right. But then um, again, to to reference a friend of the show, Lowen Baumgarten, he who lives in San Francisco, he said uh, to me a couple weeks ago, he's like, yeah, you know, you watch Godzilla, and uh, the the movie makes it seem like every street in San Francisco is Chinatown, when in fact there's like one street that looks mm-hmm. like that so there was you know it's a little uh, the, bit of that going on there's a little bit of that going on in Godzilla too but I think you're right that the space isn't really well isn't done well in Jurassic World especially given Jurassic Park it's, it's the same island well right but, and, and one of the things they did great in Jurassic Park is showing how isolated they were Yes. Like even yes. the helicopter scene coming in. Oh, that and journey the, to Jurassic Park scene. And there's, the, and there's the air currents and all that stuff. And you really get the sense that they're totally isolated out there. Here in this in Jurassic World, you just kind of feel like, oh, okay, a boat's going to come and rescue everybody. It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Not that it does, but you know that that's the possibility. So your it's, fear level for them is not as high. It's the same island. Like, yeah. They couldn't have changed the landscape and that, that quickly. So... Yeah, you know, it's um, they both have their problems, but I think you're right. Because of the pacing and the characters and the fun of the characters, uh, I got to give it to Jurassic World. Yeah, I do too. Um, if you think about it, Jurassic World is just sort of a, a better version of, of, was it Jaws 2? Is that the one in the, amuse- in the oh, SeaWorld-like part? Totally. It kind of is. It's weird totally. if you think about it. You're you're right on. It's uh it's like a good sequel to Jaws. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jurassic Park was kind of Jaws on land a bit. Um so yeah, you're absolutely right there. Yeah. I think we're get, we got to give it to Jurassic World. All right. Well, now on to the top dear 5. Dear listeners, let us know what you think. Although I'm guessing few of you will probably disagree with us. But mm-hmm. yeah, Conrad, on to our top 5. What are we talking about today? Today as I eat my bagel, <laughs> um, we are talking about top five stories of hubris. I hope that's a nerdy bagel, Conrad, or, or at least a super fantastic one. It is uh, a delicial, delicious, super delicious. fantastic, <laughs> delicious, super fantastic bagel. Um, so that's kind of like a, like ma- coining a new dinosaur like the Adonis Rex. Yep. Um, so we've got top five uh, hubris stories. Now, um, my list uh, I don't know how you did yours, Conrad. Mine has a, a little bit of fiction, keeping with the theme of Jurassic World, and a little bit, and Godzilla, too. Huh. Um, there's a little hubris there as well. Um, and also um, some real kind of stuff. Now, I didn't want to get too heavy here. Um, so uh, there's there's some things that you and I have talked about in past episodes that I'm not referencing here, like the Tuskegee syphilis study, mm-hmm. um, the Nazi genocide, and human experimentation and war crimes. I'm, I'm not diving into that territory. Um, we've talked about some of that before. But um, also not really exploring the original hubris story, which uh, is a is a classic, um, but we're not diving into that. Um, so I kind of made my list as a little bit of mixture of fiction and couple of realistic things, but n- stuff that we haven't necessarily talked about before too much. What about you? I mainly kept it to fiction for the same reason you were just saying. Um, if we get into true stories of hubris, I think it gets dark really quickly, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, you know, um, mainly I think I have one example of sort of real world hubris. Um, and I deliberately left out, you know, 
the original story of hubris, which is Oedipus Rex. Yep. Um, you know, just because I think that that was a little too obvious. So, <laughs> um, but in any case, um, you want to, why don't we roll out our top fives or, or our, our number fives? What was yours? Yeah, my number five. So I originally I was thinking about, um, the Marvel films, the Marvel studios films, and the obvious choice there is, um, Iron Man. Um, but I didn't mm. go with Iron Man. I went with Marvel studios phase two and phase three ah. of their cinematic universe. That makes uh, sense. Given, <laughs> given our conversations with Lowen in the past. Exactly. Right. Like I, I think this is, um, what they rolled out for phase two was, uh, really bold with, um, and kind of very prideful too with Guardians of the Galaxy. Like this was a, uh, a you know, a talking raccoon and a sentient tree, uh, and and that film ended up making so much money. And then you had Avengers two, and kind of like the big boldness that they have there. But all of that pales in comparison to what Marvel Studios is doing in Phase three. And we already know that the next Marvel Studios film, Captain America: Civil War, it has like more characters than Avengers: Age of Ultron, and they're exploring lots of weird, wacky Marvel universe territory and we're going to get a two film infinity war uh, i think it's very bold it's their plan is full of hubris and it will either very much succeed and be amazing or we're going to see a lot more of stuff like age of ultron which is beginning to show the problems yeah. going in with such a big bold plan and a very confident plan and 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 kind of like stating it like boom this is all, these are all the movies we're doing for the next 20 years. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Cool. What's your number five, Conrad? Uh, my number five, I, I decided to get the reality out of the way first. Um, uh. So my number five was Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, um, that's great. I, you know, if you haven't read about him, I'm sure you have. But I mean, this is just his military campaign in, in many ways was amazing and just ultimately failed because he just took on a little bit too much. Um, you know, I, I think he's often used as a main example of, of hubris. Um, and, and if you read like the history and the history of, of his sort of trying to take over the world and make himself the emperor of the world, basically, um, it's really fascinating. Um, and it's fascinating that he did get as far as he did before f ultimately falling. Um, but what I really love about Napoleon is that at, at, even at the point where he got um, exiled to the uh, to uh, Saint Helena, uh, which was the isle where he was supposed to like li live out his life, he eventually escaped and then tried to like crown himself emperor again. <laughs> so it's sort of like he couldn't even he just couldn't take it, just couldn't take it. Um, it just really amazing story, um, and you know, it, it's one of those stories well worth everybody reading, just generally. So, oh, absolutely. There's there's a lot to learn there, and a lot about hubris. And they don't um, call it a Napoleon complex or nothing. For nothing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I kind of had to throw it in there and tip of the hat to you, my friend. About uh. complexes and stuff. Not that you have a complex, just that you <laughs> you have mentioned Napoleon complexes before, and so I thought I'd oh, throw yeah. it in there. No, that's a great that's a great choice. I love it, Conrad. Um, um, going on to our number four, my number four pick is um, both the film 
explores ideas of hubris. And I think the way the film was done is also done in a hubristic kind of way. Um, and that is the movie Prometheus. Ah, nice. Yeah, so it's a film kind of that is, ex- it's trying, so it's, it's trying to do a lot. It is very overconfident. It is a prequel to the Alien franchise and also trying to set up a new uh, sort of trilogy of films. Um, it is Ridley Scott returning to the science fiction universe after a long departure. And it's, it's sort of all about the origin of life and of humanity. And so there it's dealing with lots of really big ideas. It's trying to do a lot of stuff based on just like one scene from the original Alien film, the uh, space jockey, right? Um, was that was that what it was called, Conrad? The space jockey kind of like like skeleton and yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's this whole film kind of based on that and then exploring like the biggest ideas possible, but it really fails to live up to them. And um, I think the way the film was done as well and the, the writers on the team and Ridley Scott, they all sort of thought that this was going to be amazing and it really didn't end up being that at all. And it kind of highlights a lot of the problems of... Um, the science fiction genre um, when it's sort of at its worst. And yeah, it was just really boring. I really did not like that film at all. Uh, so that's, that's my number four pick. Cool. Uh, my number four pick was kind of an, one of the, you know, tales of hubris that we hear all the time, man's folly and all that. Uh, and that would be Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's oh, Frankenstein. Of course, yeah. It's a classic, but you know, uh, Dr. Frankenstein thinks he can thwart the rules of man and uh, gets smacked down by his own creation. <laughs> and this is a theme that we see often and I thought related very nicely and fit in with our Jurassic World theme. Absolutely. That's a great choice. And, you know, a story that is has gone on to inspire many other stories of hubris, uh, just like Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. Um, great choice, Conrad. Right. Uh, moving on to number three. My number three is a real thing, um, and it is the Howard Hughes H four Hercules aircraft. You know, I, we were we were talking about this, and um, I felt like the Spruce Goose had come up at some point in one of our conversations. So I I left Howard off of it, but that's I think he in general is a pretty good tale of hubris. Oh, absolutely! But, but absolutely. that specific project, amazing. Continue. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember where we talked about this. Uh, maybe we talked about it about Howard Hughes. But I just think that the story is so cool that it deserved a little comeback here. Um, so Howard Hughes was making this aircraft uh, for the military, and it was behind project. Everyone didn't think it was going to work, and it was supposed to be uh, up in that time the largest aircraft ever made, and it did take off for a brief moment, and then was like never used ever again just because it was so huge so impractical so unrealistic so expensive and it sits in some aircraft hangar and you know people started calling it the spruce goose which howard hughes hated and wanted it to be referred to as the h4 hercules but um this massive project that was really completed out of pride but never really went on to do anything well, and then there was like a fear of not of of getting behind other people who were doing the same thing. So that's, I mean, I also think fear has a part to do with hubris too, to some extent. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the, the overconfidence coming from sort of the lack of internal confidence. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so. What do you um, got for number three, Conrad? For number three, I have Amadeus, the film. Oh, great film. Um, great film. And again, we've talked about this film before, but I think that... Um, Was that in our top five biopics? That might have been, so I'm cheating yeah. a little bit. Uh, yeah. No, but I cheated on my number three, so we got a little bit of a mind meld there. Um, but it's, you know, the the main character who narrates the whole film, if people haven't seen it, is Salieri. And he really thinks that, you know, he can manipulate and uh, basically... I don't want to say steal Mozart's gift, but that is pretty much what it is, or take credit for his work. Um, so he goes through just all these different things to manipulate Mozart into creating a piece that he can then take take credit for. And ultimately, this thing... And it's weird because it's also... it's It's discussed at his own talent that he has, but also an acknowledgement of Mozart's genius. And ultimately, Mozart ends up getting, you know buried in a mass grave um and his work is remembered and Salieri is like in a nut house so yeah. Yeah. um it's a, it's just a really and it's a fantastic film so a uh, really amazing it. film really uh really well done uh moving on to number twos you'll i think you're gonna like my number two conrad yeah it what is, is it? Michael Bay and the Transformers uh, series. Uh, so, so I see how you're picking your your hubris. You're not necessarily <laughs> doing tales. You're doing almost like real t- flop tales of hubris. It's it's, it's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I guess that is All a right. theme here. Um, so, I mean, I I don't think there's any way in which you can watch. Any of the Transformers sequels. I, I think the first one was a great film. And I really like a lot of Michael Bay's films. I love The Rock and uh, Armageddon's like a, like a um, uh, what's it called, Conrad? A, um, something that you like but you don't like to admit that you like it. Um, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure. Yeah, That's there it. we go. Um, Armageddon's a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. Uh, but... Once you get to any of the Transformers sequels, it's just so much hubris in in the uh, in this director, where he really and again, I'm I'm not doing any type of psychoanalyzing, but what I am saying is Michael Bay has gone on record as as you have pointed out in many episodes, Conrad, saying I make films for teenage boys, and these films have massive explosions. A lot of um, ethnic and racial stereotypes, um, a lot of uh, cameras that are really objectifying female bodies, um, a lot of this stuff. And he just doesn't care. And he says that my films make millions of dollars, and they do. And uh, people go see them, even though all the critics and most people say that these are horrible films and the studio continues to let him do so and he continues to make them and just doesn't care what anyone thinks. So when it comes to things we talk about in Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, I think you can't get more hubris than Michael Bay. Cool. What um, do you got? Uh, my number two is similar, in a similar vein. Ooh. Uh, it, it, it is Waterworld. <laughs> I was thinking of Waterworld. Uh, oh man, 
Yes. Okay. So, so this is this is a movie that is often called uh, Fishtar, and I think something <laughs> was it Costner Gate or Kevin's Gate or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And this was um, it was a film that <laughs> featured Kevin Costner and was also uh, you know uh, directed by Kevin Reynolds. Um, it had just this crazy uh, budget and. At the time, because this was like uh, 1995. Yeah. Um, and not too long after Jurassic Park. Not too long after, but it just had all these, you know, a lot of it was involved on water. There was all this crazy stuff involved with it. Um, they had done all this marketing, like all this crazy stuff that was supposed to, to be tied into it. Um, yeah, yeah. And there was just like... Um, even Universal Studios had an attraction. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. Um, it was and so it's funny. still, and I think it's still running. <laughs> it um, was. They converted the Miami Vice attraction to be a Waterworld attraction. I think is what but, they did. But the film was like a complete flop. Um, <laughs> yeah. And while it got some, you know, some people handed certain things to them, it was. I think a, personally, I think it was a terrible film. Um, other people I know liked it more than I did, but in any case. Um, to me, it was just sort of this, you kept hearing all the lead up to it and how great it was going to be, and, and it just wasn't. And while I think it eventually made back um, some of the uh, some of the money that they expended, uh, in, and I think it does have a little bit of a cult following for this reason. It does, and I am um, one of those yes, cult Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> I um, love this I, film, I think yeah. I think it could definitely be termed a, a misfire, and I would love, to, I have not seen it, but I think that there's like a riff tracks that goes along with it, which would be incredible to watch. So. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, this is such a horrible film that it really becomes good in my mind. It becomes, yeah. it's so good in how horrible it is. Um, just from the first scene, which I think is Kevin Costner um, urinating and then drinking his own pee. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is what we're in for. That's such a great metaphor and symbol for this uh, for this uh, movie. Um, that's a great pick, Conrad. I, I think I saw that in the movie theater, and I remember walking out being so confused about what I had seen, and it just didn't make a lot of sense. And then it's only as an adult that I've come to appreciate just how bad this movie is. So um, I, I think that's a great pick. Um, my number one is a real-world thing. And it's uh, it, it's something that's very recent, and I think um, is an example of hubris, and an example that we should all be concerned about. And it is the NSA surveillance program. Uh. Uh, so, I mean, it was revealed, and we can talk and debate about Edward well, Snowden. Wait, wait, not to go too dark, Ali. Yeah, I mean, it's it's dark, no, but it's I'm, it's a different kind of dark. It's scary. Um, I think it's scarier than a lot of the other things. But. It, it is scary. I mean, it's it's much more important than Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> but it, it was revealed um, based on the Edward Snowden leaks, and that's a different debate to have. But uh, it was revealed that the NSA was collecting data on foreign nationals living here in the United States, also collecting on data that could be one or two or three steps removed from foreign nationals um, that could be basically many things. An email that you send using Gmail and goes through an international Google server and then comes back in the U.S., that's up for grabs too. But also if you're one or two, three steps removed from someone who might be uh, a foreign national, that 
data could be tracked. Communication um, and spying on allies of the United States. So um, most critically, it was it was seen with uh, the United States, uh, the NSA spying on Germany and the German counselor's personal cell phone. Um, that became kind of an issue. But then also what's what's become an issue is the NSA collecting metadata on everyone. So right. Well, so have you did you watch the documentary about Edward Snowden? You know, I haven't seen it yet. I think if you haven't, you should and it will probably yeah. scare you even more. Um I almost wish they had gone one step further with it, but um I do think that um it it has a big impact if you just sort of pulling all that stuff together if you're not as aware of what happened to him and why he is currently in Russia. I think that it's it's I think you would probably like it. Yeah, so I think you should definitely you should definitely uh uh, it's on my it's on my watch list. I, I do want to watch it. You, you're uh, one of many people who have now recommended that to me. And um, there's a lot of things that I think become very political about this discussion. But the the thing that I hope super fantastic nerd hour listeners do connect with here is these ideas of privacy and of uh, the erosion of it when it comes mm-hmm. to technology and how many of the telecom in uh, com- uh, companies became involved in this and uh, weren't really allowed to talk about it and how the NSA really does have a lot of data on who you call, who you contact, when you contact, where you are, all of this stuff. And as computer processing improves, being able to connect the dots there on what uh, what the United States citizens are doing is, is really going to be quite scary. So that's my number one pick when it comes to hubris. Conrad, I hope you have something a little bit more. Well, uh, now I'm like, Ugh, but um, and also <laughs> Citizen Four is the name of the documentary. Yes, just in case yes, you, that's we right. should throw that in the show notes. Oscar Oscar winning documentary, I believe. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but um, I had something which was a bit of a like a joke with you. <laughs> so good, good. I, think I picked that. Citizen Kane. <laughs> oh yes, I did just I because I thought it was hilarious to do it, and clearly a tale of hubris. So, so there you have it. Um, and I do have one thing that um, reminds me a little bit of that in the honorable mentions, which is um, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about it. It's a book called Martin Dressler. No, the I- Tale of an American Dreamer. It's by Stephen Milhauser. It came out a few years ago. Um, it is a similar, it's like a Howard Hughes-like, Citizen Kane-like story. Um, I guess a little bit more Citizen Kane. Um, but it's um, it came out in like mid-90s, I think. Um, and it's a very New York tale about uh, this boy from somewhat humble roots becoming this like, like basically making all of his dreams come true and then, you know, realizing that you can't, it's something that you can't always maintain. Like he thinks he wants everything and I don't want to give away spoilers, but it's, uh, it's definitely a tale of hubris and an entertaining one at that. Uh, some points of it are weak, but it's a book that I, I enjoyed and you might enjoy it more listening to it though, Ali, cause some of it oh. gets a little bit dense and you can, you can definitely do that with this book. Cool. I'll, I'll need to check it out. The only honorable mention I had was uh, Khan Noonien Singh from Star Trek, uh, from Space Seed, and of course, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Nice, nice. I would have had Jaws on here, but I just felt like that was a little too obvious, you know? 
Oh, yeah, but but appropriate. Obvious, but appropriate. Obvious, but appropriate. But it's still, you know, we've talked about so much that I felt like I, I couldn't throw it on again. So. so, dear listeners, we would love to hear from you. What did you think of Jurassic World? Um, statistically speaking, you probably saw it since this movie had one of the biggest Friday openings ever. Uh, what did you think? How's it compare against Godzilla? And what are some of your favorite stories about hubris? Let us know. You can find us at nerdhour.com. We are also on Twitter at nerdhour. And you can email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Conrad, where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter. I'm Di Prince. And then on my, my podcast about all things undead, that type of thing, uh, Reanimated with my buddy Stuart Tiffin. That's Reanimated PCAST on Twitter and ReanimatedPodcast.com elsewhere. And you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Olimatu, A-L-I-M-A-T-T-U. I'm also at BrainKnowsBetter.com where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. And I'm well overdue for a new episode on The Psych Show, uh, my exploration of psychology and all those fun things at ThePsychShow.com. But life's been busy and we'll probably have a new episode sometime in the near future. I promise it hasn't disappeared. Um, and Conrad, it's about that time of year. Um, I need to mention that I also be at San Diego Comic-Con in a few weeks. Um, I'm on a few panels. I can't really reveal what? what those panels are yet. San Diego Comic-Con International is pretty clear about that. They don't want us revealing uh. specifics until the schedule's been published. But it's safe to say that a panel series I've been on before is making its triumphant return here at Comic-Con in a few weeks. So I hope to see some of you there. Um, So, Conrad, I think until next time, I'm going to ask all of you to live long and prosper. Indeed.